You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to the Up Your Brave show here on Reality Check Radio. I am your host, Natalie Cutler-Welsh, and next I'm talking to Aston Garrett on the topic of using social media to help the mental health of our nation. What an incredible topic. I'm so excited to dive in. Welcome, Aston, to the show. Thank you for having me. So good. I'm excited. I know you're doing a bunch of research at the moment. Before we dive into that, uh, for those of you that haven't met Aston before, Aston Garrett is completing her second master's degree in psychology and aims to spend her next five years researching New Zealanders' mental health seeking behavior in social media. She's currently conducting a pilot research for a larger five-year doctoral study in which she hopes to run a nationwide mental health campaign using social media posts, shorts, short reels to see if it can make a positive impact on the mental health of her nation. In this age of technology where we now possess mobile handheld devices giving us 24-7 access to the internet and social media, there's a huge potential to utilize this technology for good. Social media offers a very affordable and accessible means to quickly and easily disseminate psychoeducation to the nation, potentially decreasing the stigma of mental health while increasing mental health literacy and the ability to know when and how to seek help. Well, it certainly is a topical topic um, for, for, you know, all sorts of reasons. You know, you and I, I'm in I'm in business. I use social media. I started off as a social media coach many, many moons ago. Uh, but of course, now I've got teenagers. So there's things that every one of our listeners is going to want to to tune into this episode and learn. Hey, Aston, before we dive into all of that, can you let us know how did you come to this point? How did you get into this work and this research? Well, I started my psychology undergrad degree 20 years ago. And, um, I, you know, like when you go to university when you're young, you don't know what you want to do. And they said to keep it open. And I was just always fascinated uh, with my with the mind. And so I did that. And then, but I'd kind of go off on these tangents as young people do. And, and I found myself 10 years ago coming back and doing the first year of the master's, um, which was my second master's degree. My first master's was in screen production. So alongside this life of, you know, being in, of the scientific mind um, and all the science degrees, I also did a master's in arts. And, and with screen production, we literally watched social media evolve. Um, I, I remember Facebook kind of came out after, oh, it was between my graduate diploma and master's and then and then the next, you know, we had like, uh, what do we have? MySpace. We had all these social medias. And then uh, after my master's, then I believe Instagram came out. And then a while after, then TikTok. And you just started to see how much this technology started kind of really taking, not well, yeah, taking over our lives. And and I remember when I was, you know, young, it was like, we were excited to get our first cell phone and now we've all got these incredible smartphones. I mean, here's another example. Um, when I was doing my first master's in screen production, it was such a big deal to shoot on a 4K camera. Like it was the, we were the first film school in the world that, um, that had one of these and it was what they shot, what um, Peter Jackson shot the Lord of the Rings film on and we couldn't even edit them 
and we had to ed- downgrade it to uh, height definition, edit it, and then and then spit it out. And there was not really anything that we could screen this 4K stuff on. And now we've all got this technology in our hands, not just like one camera, but even our selfie cameras facing back at us, the low-grade cameras, uh, 4K. And now we can all, you know, edit 4K in our phones. And so really as these smartphone devices have kind of come into our world, it's given us this technology that, Yes, I will admit, and most people instantly think, oh, social media, it's it's bad. You can get addicted and things like that. But there are actually some really, really positive aspects to it. And so, yeah, I particularly through COVID, when we really watched the mental health of the nation change, I think a lot of people in that stage, went, once they realized they were really locked down and isolated, was turning to social media. And it's it's really become part of our lives. And so... I kind of thought at one point, I was like, well, I've got all this fascinating stuff on t- psychology. So why don't I put out these little shorts and reels and just share some of these tips that I, you know, that I've shared in the past. I used to hold workshops in the community and so on and so forth. Um, just sharing psychotherapeutic tools because it was like, why should this information just be for the mentally ill? It's also really helpful for the nation in like a positive psychology sense. And um yeah, so I started sharing these little reels and just little facts and cognitive bias that if you learn to understand how we operate, you know, life gets a little bit easier or, or we get to understand why we have these emotional reactions and gain a bit con- of control over ourselves. And so the the videos went really well and um, I decided to go back to university and finish that other master's degree uh, because I just really thought, you know what? our mental health stats are declining and this is just one real simple easy way that we could possibly do something by I mean imagine just you know maybe you could do a set of psychologists or a mixture of people uh, which is what my research is about is you know who who does who do we put in the seat of the mental health influencer and um, you know why not try I just think it'd be a pretty cool doctoral study to um, to literally run a, med- a mental health campaign over, I don't know, three to five years. Well, five years in total completion, but three years of actual kind of let's get it out there and see what it does. Um, and it just, it's so accessible and easy. And so, yeah, that's kind of where I've come back to. And I've, uh, my research is now in data collection phase. So the surveys out there, I'm, collecting information and um and then with that write up the big thesis and hope to get into the doctoral study where I get to actually put it into action. Well, I mean that's a lot to take on. So good on you after that massive hiatus of study, but that's sometimes what happens in life. You know, we follow a path and then we think actually this is not for me right now, but then you came back to it, which is amazing. Not out of duty and obligation, but out of an area uh, that really you're passionate about. You're you're concerned, I imagine. Do you know what the stats are at the moment around mental health? I know they have definitely I declined do. over the last few years. What are we looking at? All right. So the latest study, we're, we're kind of overdue for another one. So that there was a study in 2018, and then the next study was in 2021, which was right in, in COVID. So we haven't had anything since, and I would expect that we would have probably increased from 2021. But the last study, which was the General Social Survey, showed that overall our mental well-being has declined in 2018. And we can see this across a number of areas. So 
what they found is that the proportions of people who said they felt cheerful and in good spirits, calm and relaxed, active and vigorous, or woke up feeling fresh and rested and had life full of interesting things. So these are five kind of areas of or aspects of well-being. What they found is those positive areas would have were declining significantly since 2018. Meanwhile, the proportion of people indicating they had poor mental well-being uh, increased from 22% in 2018 up to 28% in 2021. So that is more than a quarter of the population at that data point. Uh, point in time indicating that they had uh, were of poor mental well-being and we found that the rates of poor mental well-being it rate, rose significantly across all the age groups um they're they're pretty much like when you look at the graph there was no age group that hadn't had an increase and yeah i you know we can kind of expect that from covid so it is a bit you know, we are. I'm curious to see what the next data set does come out at. Um, they did find that certain pe- uh, demographics of society had, you know, more of an increase in poor mental well-being. So that was like disabled people were the most. They have like phenomenal rates. I think it's like 56. Where is the page here? Percent. I called it up because I knew I was going to want to um, have a look at it. Here we go. Um, disabled people aged 15 to 64 years, 56.2% indicated that they were of poor mental well-being. LGBT was the next uh, 45.7%. Sole parents, I'm one of them, 45.5%. Um, household income, 30 or thousand or less of poverty, 37%. And then, interestingly, we get into females. So females in general and females, parents and two-parent families were next kind of makes sense though like our hormones don't really help that scale like um, biologically we're probably more prone to to negative well-being Um, and then we just get into Māori male New Zealand in total like overall like the total of New Zealand 28.2 percent and so yeah we overall we are kind of declining and um, and at the same time you know happiness stats are not increasing Um, I mean, it's that's not to say that New Zealand is all, you know, bad. There are some, you know, we are actually quite optimistic and, um, you know, a, a number of people when they did the survey, um, seven, at least seven out of 10 indicated that they were happy the previous days. So there are some, you know, like I have given the, the negative side of it, but we we do have actually, you know, we are going okay. But I guess what you can take from the statistics is that those that aren't well really need some help. Mm. And um, and what I've particularly found putting the research out there, because it obviously on social media sparks comment, is that, you know, people are like, we really need this. Um, our mental health system is shocking, like, which I wouldn't say it's shocking. I would say it's it's challenged um, and has plenty of room for improvement. But there are some really good services out there. Yeah, I'd love to talk in a minute about proactive versus reactive things we can do. So giving some practical tips. So just remind me, I'll come back to that. Um, But also acknowledging, so that study was done, or at least published in 2021, which was still amidst the COVID craziness. So obviously... You know, I don't know if people are feeling better now. In I can tell you it was 2023. It was, it was kind of um it it was in between I think we were out of lockdown, like the data collection. Where did I mm. push? 
the data collection began on the 1st of April 2021, a year after the first COVID lockdown. So we weren't actually, I don't believe, in lockdown at the time. And it finished early on the 17th of August following the first community outbreak of the Delta variant. Yeah. So they would have possibly captured some that, you know, were like, oh, we're back in lockdown again. Um, So it was an unusual study. But at the same time, I guess there were a lot of people that also would be like, we've just been locked down and now we're free. And sometimes these challenges that actually all the time, really they should, the challenges can actually, you know, give us the contrast to make the the good things feel much better. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you're right. So I think it's not so much like we can think we can attribute the stats to certain things, but the point is that is how people were feeling and how are they feeling today? One thing that I have now, this is not from research. This is only from friends and their own experiences with themselves, their kids, their clients is I, you know, how sometimes with COVID and, and the jab, I've heard that it kind of tends to exacerbate what your weak area. Well, at least this is what I've found amongst my, my people. Like when I had quote unquote COVID, I had back pain. Well, back pain is my weak area anyway. Interesting. But I have had a few friends say that their depression came back, you know, so their mental health declined and I'm not talking about lockdown. I don't know what I'm talking about, but maybe the impact of spike proteins or who knows have you found that is that, you know, people who maybe were doing well, suddenly their depression was worse and other, of course, other medical situations, same thing. But today let's focus on mental health and well-being. Well, I, I think with regards to COVID, um, it, it specifically had a symptom wherein some people it really changed. It really brought on depression and anxiety. I witnessed my housemate when she got it. It was like. I remember she had this like long, slow, and I would have, I must have caught it off her. And it was amazing. It amazed me how different Different, it reacted to people. So what I concluded and bearing in mind, I was looking for at this from a very scientific mind. I had done when COVID came out, I had done pharmacology at med school, like final year doctors and pharmacists and things like that and toxicology and, and within all of that, you know, immunology. And you look at, vaccines and things like that and the technology of it and so you know I was always looking at that and the epidemiological data very scientifically and at the same time with my own lived experiences I was analyzing kind of everyone and asking them for feedback how did it go for you what I found is that it was very genetic dependent so Mm. the same strand could pass through different people and have different reactions and like my son and I for example my son had identical reaction to me yet he, I wouldn't have, you know, he's got asthma. He was like kind of high risk and he'd had pneumonia with lung damage. And we were like really kind of worried about it. And when it came on, it didn't even go to his lungs. Like it was just kind of a, a fever and headache and body aches. And, you know, maybe a bit of, uh, once he started getting over, it got really kind of the runny nose and things like that. But, um, but yeah, I, and then you see other people, you know, my housemate, she, I remember saying to her, she just, wouldn't get out of bed and um for a while and I remember after I don't know day seven or eight going look I know you like to sleep we know that but there is something wrong with you I'm sorry like you observing your behavior and and your kind of everyday functioning and she didn't even have a respiratory illness at this time and I just said you you're you've changed and i think there's something up with your mental health and I think you should go to the doctor and sure enough it was literally 24 because she was like oh yeah you know I'm feeling like this and started you know um you know communicating her feelings with me and 
definitely very anxious and and depressed and then it was like 24 hours after that she then started getting the cold symptoms and it was like oh I think I'm getting a cold and then tested and it was like yep well full-blown COVID so she had this very long um, depression one and then I think subsequent infection so it was like there was very clearly and it did say on the um on the reports that you know depression and anxiety are a symptom of COVID so very much had an impact on mental health for some people and and with the whole sense of long COVID, um, it's kind of understandable if it had that, you know, that it can continue. Sure. Long COVID or vaccine impacts is in my yeah. view. I'm going to put yeah. that out there because, um, yeah, that's right. So some people, we all struggled in different ways. We all had challenges in different ways. Um, I would love to talk about some things that, what what are some things from your research and your own experience? What are some things that people can do? to raise their state of mental health and well-being um, just in general maybe and then we'll go on to the social media side of things okay well I am a big big firm believer of mindfulness if you don't know what mindfulness is go look it up these days you can pretty much find everything for free on the internet or on YouTube and um, mindfulness what it does is you're you're basically bringing your state into this whole mind state you're slowing down um so when we're when we're awake and we're stimulated we're in beta waves which are these high frequency and and more disharmonic than than the lower waves um and our state so it could it can be anything from i think 30 to up go quite high and now, if you're walking through life and you're constantly thinking of the present and the past and the future, and you're like, you've got your kids coming at you, and you're like, and I'm, I am an absolute, by the way, workaholic. So this is, I'm describing myself. I'm not putting other people down, but you can get like lots of stimulation, and and then what happens is you realize, you, like, you're kind of constantly focused and constantly distracted. And I think a lot of, I think mindfulness might fix. It'd be worth doing a study on mindfulness and and ADHD, or perhaps there isn't is one. But by slowing down and focusing and and bringing like having our mind operate more fully, so what happens is we slow our brain down. It's kind of meditation, really, is the is the basic way of getting to it. But you can you can practice mindfulness as you go about your daily life. Like um, you're slowing your brain down into alpha, and by doing that, the brain is able to work together more globally with a global coherence because it's able to synchronize with all parts of the brain and then you're able to use your brain more fully um and what they find is that you know coming into that state it just makes everything a bit easier for whatever reasons i mean well-being seems to increase uh there's you know there's neurological reasons and so on and so forth and the other thing there's another key aspect of mindfulness beyond the kind of reducing the sensory stimulation you know clearing the thoughts so like one of the things mindfulness is when you get these additional thoughts you just acknowledge them and let them go you don't judge them one of the techniques is like a teflon frying pan imagine an egg on a teflon frying pan. just let life slide past you don't judge it like it is what it is um and then acknowledge it and come back to whatever your point of focus is and it just helps regulate our body it, it helps lower our cortisol levels and so it helps us on a hormonal aspect or level it helps us on a neurological level um and it definitely helps us on an emotional level so mindfulness i i think is almost like the it's like the one thing that you can teach anyone and if they practice that it'll help kind of improve their well-being reduce stress and so on and so forth and then just another kind of fun little thing that i used to do is just te- teach people about um 
the way the brain works and in particular the cognitive effect of bias. And that's my favorite one to teach in that did you know that two people can walk into the exact same experience and have a polar opposite reaction or have a completely yes. different experience? Yes. And it's because of this cognitive effect of bias. And we are biased towards whatever our most dominant mood is. Um, or they call it and mood congruence. So like the eternal pessimist will walk into that same experience and they will attend, so that's pay attention, attend to the things that are mood, match their mood congruence, so all the negative things in the environment. And then they will perceive them as more negative than they actually are. And then as they're kind of, you know, as you're interacting in your memory and perception, you're also, uh, so you're using your memory and recall. So they will be they will be perceiving the environment based on their negative memories because they will be recalling only more the negative stuff and then encode it so it's just this bias towards negativity conversely however is the positive side of it so i'm definitely more an optimist um and i walk in and i could walk into like the most dire of, of environments and i just i just can't help but see the positive <laughs> and yeah and you see it more positively than it actually is and you know you've got your positive memories to recall and so on and so forth so I think if we understand the cognitive effect of bias and you know it then makes it you know if you are having a negative experience you can really judge it for what it is like go actually there is a chance of me seeing the positivity in this it's that right now my mind is is kind of a bit more biased towards negativity and that's because our neurons become what's called labile they you know are more prone to firing up so yeah and it, and it really kind of gives us it makes us responsible for like working on our mood and, and and the third thing i'd have to say is let your emotions guide you and neurologically it's called the approach withdrawal system and the approach system creates all the physiological reactions that make up an emotion um based on our parasympathetic and sympathetic system. And these, um, yeah, you know, we are literally designed to our for our emotions to guide us. So when we've, you know, we're when we're feeling good, our blood flow goes to our it's our parasympathetic response. Our blood flow goes to our digestive system, digestive system to eat and have sex and like have good time and restore and things like that. And so we approach it. Whereas you know, and think back to caveman times, you know, you're sitting there and you're looking at a fire with a feast cooking and what are you going to do? You're going to feel good and everything. But then if a tiger comes, for example, and it starts licking his chops at you and your feast, suddenly you're like, oh my gosh, and your body releases all this cortisol and all these reactions. And then you, it primes itself to, to survive and fight or flight. And, and this is what we're doing every day is we, we like, those are very extreme examples, but actually these days we're, our kind of stress systems got a bit disordered because even like, for example, like a dog suddenly barking and then household next door can give us a fright and make us jump and put us on edge or, you know, financial stresses or there's so many stresses that we have that aren't actually that stressful, but our poor cortisol systems are firing up. So, you know, like by understanding how we are wired, you know, and, and that is that, you know, our emotions should guide us to approach or withdraw from something. Um, and, and, by knowing that you know 
our our dominant emotion is going to bias our our experience it kind of lets you know that okay let me work on this and work out how to get myself into happiness mm. and get myself feeling good and you can do that with mindfulness well, I love that. And, and I love how you've come, full cir- you've come full circle because I was going to ask you for those that are listening, they might be thinking, oh yes, I'm an, you know, I'm an optimist or they might going, oh yeah, I know I am a bit of a pessimist. And it's not that that's who you are and that's how you are. And it is what it is. It's like acknowledging and going, oh yeah, I guess I de- do tend to see the flaws. And I want to acknowledge for some people that is their strength, meaning they might even have a job in that area where their, de- their job is to look for the safety hazards or the maybe they're an accountant and they have to look for the, you know, whatever the inconsistencies and things like that. So that is a strength. But if you realize your natural, like what was it called? Your natural bias and you go, I that do is, tend yeah, to be cognitive effective bias. Effect is the technical bias. term for emotion. Okay. So you, re- you yeah. acknowledge your, your natural bias state, your cognitive affective bias, but it's like, that's not who you are. You can shift that, which I love. So it's coming back to how do we shift it? Mindfulness is one way. And then, um, I guess also just looking for, you know, we talk about looking for the good or seeing the good in different situations. And I do that with my kids, you know, like I call it life lessons with mom, but it's like, if we have a scenario or something happens as it always does, we can kind of debrief it, but we look for the life lessons and you look at what do you, there's always a lesson to learn. There's always something cool that you can take away. And I say, and add to your basket, you know, as you go through life. Um, Let's can I give go, you some more science though. Yeah, just, give us some more. Quickly, like, this out. is like out there science. That so this is what I did. So my first year of my master's ten years ago, or my psych master's, um, I specialized in effective neuroscience, and um, there's some really cool trippy science. So the HeartMath Institute. What okay? What I, what I came across is that did you know that we react to upcoming emotions, certain upcoming emotions, not all emotions, before the event happens. So we literally transcend time. And so in, in the field of effective neuroscience, we're using like physiology um, technology. So um, psycho they call it psychophysiology techniques. So it's your EMG, your ECG, your EEG, like all the measures of your the what your body's doing, skin conductance, pupillary dilation, um, so on and so forth. And so um, and this is to kind of see where you are on the parasympathetic and sympathetic scale in most instances. And what, because what they find is that emotions are simply a pattern set of physiological response. But what they find is that they have this international effective picture system that they use all around the world to kind of, um, you know, to to experiment on people and, and elicit emotions. And what they found is that the heart would react first to upcoming emotions, 10 I don't know. I can never remember if it's milli or microseconds because it was like 10 years ago. Um, but let's just say milliseconds for now. I'll just say super um, quick. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, but but 10 milliseconds before the event happens. And then from there, the brain fires up six milliseconds before the event happens. And then the rest of the all the body triggers up and they will respond um like three milliseconds prior. And I'd seen other research around like EEGs and PET scans and stuff like even BBC like mainstream technology was reporting this like years ago that we you know things that we make our mind up before the event happens we literally are interacting with this world transcending time (laughs) which is which is really interesting so it seems we're connected to this world through the heart because that's what reacts first yes now the other part of interesting information is the heart math institute in the u.s they did this um measure and what they found is that we've got these two electromagnetic fields um 
one around the brain and one around the heart. And the one around the heart is much stronger. I think it's particularly magnetically, like 5,000 times stronger than the one around the brain. And um, it radiates in every direction. So it's like we're a point of singularity from the heart with this big electromagnetic field. And this can be measured with, our, with devices like, I think, super quantum conductive interference device or something like that. So really, really technical. Um, and currently they've measured them, uh, I think, 12 feet or 15 feet. It's like it's all in the US, so it's in their, in their, in their um, technology. But they predict that it goes a quarter of a mile in every direction and that it's only our technology that is you know preventing us from measuring this and but what it shows is that now they would pair people for the sake of a interaction and what they could find that what they found is that with some people you could read like we could be paired for you and I could be paired for an interaction uh, for an experiment we may not even have met each other but the more connection we have the stronger the the results they tend to see like mothers and children will get very strong results and twins and things like this but they can literally read your heart field and mine and my heart field and yours and your and your ECG response and my brain and yours and your brain and mine. And basically they can we we are really in, interconnected through these electromagnetic heart fields. So really what that research kind of was like made me think about back then was that and so I ended up making my doing my first year my thesis was titled Empathy and Extrasensory Perception. So it was literally telepathy. Yeah. <laughs> I did my my research on but I chose to do feeling telepathy because I thought you know like everyone understands the concept of vibes but if you start talking about mental telepathy it's like a bit woo woo and stuff like that and so yeah it seems that we have this field that we are radiating so 400 meters is to put quarter of a mile in, into into our terminology and so really if you're living in an apartment building you are feeling the feelings and the mm. thoughts of all those people who are also in the apartment building. And it really made me think, you know what, we do have a duty, not just to ourselves, but to our society to work on our mental health. And imagine if we all became happier and what impact that would have. And so that's actually what um, took me back to university in 2012 as I, after I had my, the birth of my child, I started wake up with this information I never went to sleep with. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm a genius. I'm a scientist. This is what scientists get their information in their sleep. And um, and yeah, I went back to university, but it was literally like, if you make the world happy, if, if, if we just worked on our happiness, so many aspects of society will increase. Health spending will decrease because our physical health will get better. Productivity would increase. Working like all the negative aspects of society should decrease and the positive aspects of society should increase. So it's kind of set me up with this inherent drive to like, even when I go on my tangents, I come back and be like, okay, let's work on mental health of the nation. It's so, it's so key. And that's really interesting. I love how you were talking about energy. And of course, our energy does affect people, whether we say something or not. And even thinking about housing and thinking about workspace environment, because like you said, if you're in an apartment, you've got all these people around you, we are going to be affected. And in my view, because I do human design, some people more than others will be more highly affected to other people's energy, as well as the environment, meaning mold, air quality, and things like that. Um, but that brings us to social media, because you were talking about, you know, the interactions and the vibe between people. But when we're in, on social media, we are looking at all these people. We are affected by them and often reflecting on ourselves. You know, there's this term comparisonitis, like comparing ourselves to other people, feeling like they've got a better life than me. Their job is more fun than they, mine, etc. 
And we're often doing that in isolation, like not really with another person. So how has, yeah, let's talk a little bit about social media and mental health, but also the positive things, meaning what can we do about it? So if we are worried about mental health and we're aware of social media, what are some specific things we can do in our daily life or within our family to help our own mental health and well-being? Well, in terms of social media, it's it's really important to, um, I mean, there's, there's a huge potential to to imagine if you just had like these at your fingertips, like these daily little short videos that even the busy person can ingest something for the day, a tip of the day, take this. Because psychotherapy, when you go to psychotherapy, it, it's, it's a long-term process, like, you know, and people tend to need, need to go you know, go through it again. And most of us are messed up from our childhood, which is like soft trauma, long, long trauma that we don't even know is traumatic until we get into our adulthood. And we're like, what is wrong with me? And and then you realize, oh, that happened to me when I was a kid and yada, yada, yada. But for as long as it's taken to, you know, wire into us, it takes the same time to anti-wire us. And so therefore it's like, I find a lot of people who want to go to psychotherapy, they're like, I've done that, didn't work. And it's like, you might need to do it again and again and again. It's like a muscle. Same with mindfulness. Everything is like a muscle. If you don't regularly use it, you lose it. And, you know, it's really ha- – when you go to psychotherapy, you typically get, like, each session you will get something, like, or a couple of tips and tricks to to absorb and take on and go and practice in your daily life. And so that's where I think social media can be very powerful and that, you know, it's a way to share with the public um, – just little tips and trips. They're not overwhelmed. They can just pick something each day and go, let me try and impact that. Um, because, you know, at any point in time and any experience, it's actually just your beliefs and and your your whole experience. Like it's so subjective and and um and you know, there you can have incredible power over it. Um, but people just don't realize they they I guess a lot of people aren't so conscious of it and and they can you know, they feel a bit of a vulnerability, but I found that once I learned how the body functioned, when I started to get negative experiences and emotions, I'm like, oh, I don't really don't like this. I saw it as an opportunity for change. I saw it as my body telling me, okay, what in your environment is bugging you? And, um, you know, what can you do about it? And sometimes it's the case of going, actually, you know what, this is just a normal cycle. My body just needs a break from being happy. And, you know, if we were happy all the time, we wouldn't be happy. We'd have no point of comparison. So we would desensitize to the happiness. Um, so like that's another way, for example, you can reframe your beliefs around uh, negativity or like negative emotions like sadness and so on is that you can kind of be like, oh, well, my body's giving a break from happiness. A happiness holiday. <laughs> yeah. It's like mentalization. It's like that's a, that's a cool technique. Mentalization is like where it, if something bugs you, you just think of what's going to make, like you'll never know the truth behind it. You'll ne- it's usually someone else that's done it. You never know. Like I would, the example is always like you're in a shop in the mall and the shopkeeper, the the atten- checkout attendant's like a real bitch to you, <laughs> like a real like harsh person to you, and then you know it makes you feel bad. Now you can walk through and continue and continue to let that you let that get you down, or you can just sit there and reframe that. Um, and, and think, okay, well, what's going to make me feel better about the situation? And then if you think, well, maybe her cat's just died or her mother's in hospital or maybe she's just had a breakup with her boyfriend and and she's probably just having a shitty day. Uh, sorry, am I allowed to talk? <laughs> <laughs> this is 
I, you know what I was just thinking? Yes. Like you can, you can try to figure it out and be like, well, maybe this happened or that happened. Can you also though go, you know, I wish her well, gosh, she must've had a rough day I, and send them blessings. Like, is that going to do the trick too? Or do you it, actually, it, yeah. It's just whatever works for you. Mm-hmm. Like whatever reframing, because no one's ever going to know the truth behind that situation. You're not going to rock on up back to the shopkeeper and go, look, you're a real nasty to me the other day. What's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> Um, some people so, would, some people would, you know what? This is fascinating because some people would go straight to the, straight to the manager and they'd complain. And I find that I just find humanity so fascinating. Right. And you know how they say the way you do some things is the way you do everything. So people, some like that type of person that's going to go and complain to the manager because the checkout, you know, that's, and guess what? You'll probably have more negativity come your way, but the person that goes, oh gosh, she must be having a rough day. You know, I wish her well is probably going to have more positivity coming their way. That's just the way I see the world. Mm. I found also when I did mindfulness training, I found that you, when you get into this real contented state, because you can feel positive but excited, and when you have that arousal, it's like the body can't sustain it for long periods of time. So really, to, I feel like the optimal way, you know, like emotion is to sit in contentedness, it's just a calm, easy happiness. Mm-hmm. And I find that like when you do this mindfulness training, I remember walking around like nothing bothers you. <laughs> stuff can happen and you're like oh well they're having an experience but you're not judging it it's Mm -hmm. not firing up all your systems to get you into a state of stress or Mm -hmm. anger or frustration um and so yeah it's about you know a lot of it it takes practice to reframe but you know like life is this we've got every day to do better like if, if today wasn't good you wake up the next day and and it's another opportunity to do better and to do to keep what worked and keep what you liked and to change what's what's different um so yeah <laughs> i love watching Lori ladd on youtube she's always like observe 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 and when we do observe we are in that state of contentment a little bit more two things i want to mention one thing is that the, let's talk about tiktok because you mentioned like little quick tips bite-sized tips that people can learn which i love that concept of However, I also heard, I went to this parenting talk, which was really amazing about um, the online cyber safety and whatever for teenagers. And um, I heard something about, you know, TikTok videos because they're so short and kids just sit there for hours scrolling, like they end up impacting their ability to concentrate, you know, their um, attention span. Absolutely. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. Yeah. You can literally see, you can literally watch what these short form videos are doing to the, and particularly the frequency. I don't know if you've noticed, but like, as a parent, like my my child comes in my room and he's like watching TikTok. I'm like, get that noise out. It's that same like, there's like a real intense, loud, you know, like volume of this and that. And look, there is some real shocking negative stuff to to social media as well. I mean, my supervisor, he, we sat down and he was like, yeah, I did this in social media and I was called to be the, you know, expert on this is something about TikTok and the journalist ran this. Um, they basically set up an account to be a 13 year old or something. Yes. And they saw what came back and it was like, there's, there is some really, really shocking stuff on social media. So it's about being smart about it. It's about being aware of, you know, what's good for me and what's not. Now, you know, kids doing the time of sitting through TikTok, I think it definitely needs to be limited. Um, and you can counter the effects of sitting. In, I mean, even even adults sitting. I don't know if you actually pay attention. Um, but have you like? Do you sit? Do you sit in front of a computer all day long? At, on days, on certain no, days. I, me? Oh no! I'm like, I'm on the computer and the phone 
sporadically throughout the day for my work, you know, for the business that I run, but I'm, I don't sit for ages. I'm up and down and I'm all over the place. Um, but I, I know I, and I don't really go on TikTok and scrolling. Um, I tend to watch more stuff on rumble or on YouTube or I'm all on telegram a lot. Um, uh, but they are, they are short videos. A lot of them are the same, similar, um, so yeah, you're always going to find negative content, but you're always going to find positive content. So I guess we can be empowered about choosing what we watch, what we expose mm. ourselves to. And, but also what I was getting to is like, I don't, I really notice the difference, like, you know, especially when you're running theses and I also work and things like that. And there's a huge difference when you spend your day in front of the computer screen versus spending the day out in nature. Yeah. So, you know, like there, that was where I was getting to is, for example, a really good way. And, and a number of like uh, Dr. Dr. Joe Dispenza is one of my favorite neuroscientists who's out there on social media. And, you know, that he's done some very advanced research into these things. But, he, you know, he was always advising like 10 years ago. It was like, if you're going to do the time on the technology, get out of nature and ground that electromagnetic energy yes. out of you. Stand barefoot on the earth. Uh, let that energy or or walk in water, like go on the beach where the water walks out. Um, and even the light, the wavelength of the green light of all the plants, it has an effect on us. And the sounds of nature, the sounds of nature are very soothing to the mind. So you can have, like, you can you can be smart about your use of the technology. And it's not just the social media itself. It's literally the physical devices. The, they give off a whole lot of electromagnetic energy. Um and it impacts our cells and it impacts our mind. And um, even TV, like back when we were, you know, we were all in the world of broadcast TV, people didn't realize, but it puts your brain into alpha and which alpha is great, but also alpha is very suggestible. <laughs> so, um, you know, like there's pros and cons. And so it's just about being smart, being aware of what this technology is doing to us and being smart and utilizing it for good and bad. Now, this social media campaign that we weren't are going to do is not talk, is not about bombarding people with a whole lot of videos that they're sitting for hours and hours on the end. It's like you know less than five minutes a day of a very short form video that is very easily accessed through the smart device that pretty much everyone has these days, um, and then giving them skills and tips and tricks to go out and and also you know um, increasing mental health literacy and how to. Um, be aware of yourself and mm. and recognize when you know your body needs to do something, move into something different, and 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 clean up its kind of mental or, or lifestyle hygiene again. So inspiration and education, and that will be helpful for the person, but probably possibly more so for the friend, you know, or the parent, or the like you had said to your flatmate, like, hey. You know, I th I'm a bit worried about you because you're sleeping a lot. Sometimes when people are in that state, right, they don't realize like they're not the ones that will notice the signs and symptoms as much as somebody else who's feeling a little bit better about things. So I guess, yeah, that sounds good. What So what kind of platform were you thinking about for putting this out to the world? Uh, all of them. <laughs> so particularly the reels, so the shorts and the reels on uh, TikTok, uh, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook, the you know, social media is driven by algorithms, and um, and and that's influenced by human behavior. And but what currently, you know, like they they are pushing like with YouTube, for example, introducing shorts, they put like an extra boost on pushing out and so on and so forth. So um, mostly reels, I reels seem to be ingested really easily. 
Uh, but actually, I've, this is this is one of the questions in my research. So my research currently for the master's, master's is typically a, a more narrow research. It's like a one-year research project. Um, and so in my research, I ask questions like, you know, where are you watching? What would you prefer? Would you prefer short form video? Are you more likely to watch long form video? What about infographic texts and so on and so forth? And so we're going to look at that data and use that data to, to drive, you know, to decide where to put it. But I would definitely say short form video is probably going to be one of the dominant ones. Um, and then the other thing you got to watch with social media, I <laughs> It took me a while to learn this actually, but because I remember Facebook came out and then I used to run events in Auckland and, um, oh, well, I still do, but um, more more full-time. And um, I remember putting the, everything out to Facebook and then I got a grant from the government to to do youth events and I was using Facebook. I was like, why am I not getting any response? And uh, little did I realize, it took me a while to learn that actually as you can see what the generations are attached to the social media that came out in their time. So yeah. Facebook is definitely a, an older demographic, uh, more middle-aged. And then you've got Instagram, which is kind of the Gen Y, Gen X combined, but more the Gen Y. Um, and then from there, you've got like Snapchat and, and TikTok kind of came out and it just kind of went broad. So I'd say, I don't, I can't really identify an, an, uh, a common, um, like a t TikTok doesn't stand out to me as having something that you're this generation or that generation. It's very broad because it's almost like the, you get the generation one and generation two. And then you, after that, when you get new technologies come out, it just kind of merges them all. It's kind of like the same with our blood type. We had O and then we had A and then we had B and then we had AB. And it was like every time it was stepping up and then getting more and more mixed of the original, you know, genetics. Um, so yeah, we see that in social media. So pretty much just everything, but definitely Facebook, Instagram, um, TikTok would be primaries, also some YouTube. And then having an app, uh, like what you were talking about with your radio app, mm -hmm. um, is you know, people can decide to just let it naturally influence them through their feed on a daily basis as they tune in, or they can log into the app and access the library of information because all of these little videos will build up a library of, of tips and techniques that they can use to make them their life better, whether it's to just improve their uh, mental well-being or to become more understanding of how to help someone else around them. Yeah, well, an app would be amazing. I mean, our numbers on Reality Check Radio, I think, doubled when we added the app, which is incredible. Um, just for the people listening that might not know, we'll do a little termino terminology. When you talk about reels, so for those that don't know, a reel is a video, usually in the vertical, like it's a, not a landscape, but vertical video. And usually if it's um, on Instagram, I think it's at one minute, one and a half minutes max. I don't know what they are on TikTok. How long are the videos on TikTok? TikTok's more, it's a bit more flexible. Um I think you can do all lengths of on TikTok, but the 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 dominant real length is one minute, right? Um, and it's usually some... it's usually it can be a straight video or it can be a kind of a montage, like a like a montage of different clips, and you can put text on top and you can add a link so people can click it. Um, anyway, so that's what we're talking about. Just wanted to say that when we talk about yeah. reels, Aston, let's go to the questions that I ask all my guests. Number one is up your brave. What is one thing you've done in the last year to truly up your brave? Well, um, I, I just think me going back and finishing this master that I started 10 years ago and, um, going back into psychology, uh, is something because it's, 
I don't know, I'm just inherently driven to try and make Back a change of the, the world somewhere. Yeah. It's very cool. I love it. I love when someone has the courage to do that instead of thinking, oh, I've missed the boat or, oh, I'm too old or all the thousand reasons you could think of not to. Good on you. Yeah, I'm definitely a mature student. Let's just say that. <laughs> I'm teaching. I'm literally teaching. I'm I'm a lab tutor at uni for teaching a paper that I took 20 years ago. And I stand and I'm like, oh, I feel so old every time I say that. <laughs> it's amazing. And what about the bucket list? Do you have anything on your bucket list? This is something you'd love to do, be, or experience in your lifetime that we can possibly help you with. Uh, well, I have to say at the moment and... I, I plan to just be my next 10 years, but I, but I is this project is the doctorate. I want to get into the doctorate and um, take this research to be able to apply it on a mass level. I I've had this life where I happened to, I don't know, it, like even back in 2012, I just ended up, I I'd do things like I'd put a call out for the public to come dance with me thinking, you know, get like 20, 30 people, come have a hangout, come just go dance in the park and stuff like that. And 500 people showed up <laughs> and we're like, put on this event, keep it going. And so, and then when I, I found myself kind of naturally involved in kind of like social movement stuff that I would do something and it would kind of trigger the public to do a lot of things. And so when I'm carrying this energy through my life, I also put an Earthbeat Festival, um, which is a music festival in north of Auckland. And we had 4,000 people. It was actually, I put it on my birthday. So it's like a really good birthday party, black seeds playing and so on, <laughs> like your friend dancing. But, it, you know, like, it's it's I've I've always had this thing where I can just do just even the smallest of action and it can result into this big thing that the public respond to, and so I'm my I really want to to put this um, get into the doctorate and put this uh, put this to the test because I I'm really curious to see what putting all the psychoeducation and information out there in these videos that the public can can access. And I really, really want to see if it, we can see those mental health statistics improve. Yeah, let's turn things around, definitely. I'm going to do your human design after. I want to know if you're a manifester. Sounds like it. Um, <laughs> so, so in terms of the bucket list, just getting it out to the people and how can we help you? How can we help to get it out to the people if you need more people to fill out the survey? Um, how do they do that's that? The bit. Yeah, that's the bit. So I've got, a, I mean, I'm, I don't know if you've got anywhere to put a link, but it is a bitly short link, the bit.ly forward slash social media psych research okay. um, is, yeah, you could help me by the more data we collect. This is, this is the... It's just a it's a short five minute survey and it just asks informate questions on your behavior and your opinions around social media with in relation to like mental health influencing and and obviously this larger project. And um I think it's pretty exciting for the participants involved that if we do if I do manage to pull this off, like all the participants that have involved, you could be proud of yourself that actually it's it's your guys' opinions and and um and the willingness to take the time to give us this data helps shape this this great project that I think I really hope could help the nation. I think it definitely will. So what I'll aim to do for those people listening is I'll aim to put the link definitely on my Facebook page, which is Up Your Brave with Natalie Cutler-Welsh. That's Facebook. Then I'll see if I can also get myself together and put it on, have it put on the Reality Check Radio Facebook page as well. But also on the replay page, hopefully we'll have that link as well. Really depends how long you're going to have the, the doors open for that survey. When does it close? I'm going to keep it open, I think, till the 31st of October. Okay. 
So I think we've got time. Uh, I, I have actually applied. I've had to apply for an amendment to um, to get that confirmed. It will definitely be open until mid-October. Okay. But I've I've applied to kind of get another two weeks because actually the, res- the public are responding really well. Like um, I think in the first, I'm just under two weeks of, of data collection and I'm, I've had over 300 participants. Um, some of them screen out, but we've got over 250, like 250 people have completed the whole survey, which is. How long does it take? Really, it's five it minutes. Out. Five minutes. Five minutes. It's like it's like thirteen questions, and some of these are just basic demographic questions as well. Some of it you could see it racks once we start asking you to rank your likeliness to use different types of social media. You could see it kind of like they get a bit. Oh, Do you ask tiring. us what type of content we're concerned about? Like you know the sexualization of children or you know things like that. Doesn't get no, into that. No, no. It's um. Because at the end of the day, the content that I, I don't think that's relevant in the sense of, because that's that's kind of looking at, it is relevant in the sense of, you know, that we need to address that. But within the context of my research, um, we're talking about putting these, you know, using mental health influences, um, sharing psychoeducation to the nation through these short form videos. And so the videos are very controlled and planned and created and, yeah. and they'd have a positive impact. So engaging in the the project will not, you know, expose you to any risk because that's the other thing is I'll have to go through human ethics and get ethics approval for this. Um, and, and that is, that can, that can take like a whole year. Human ethics is such a big co- process. So, um, so yeah. And, and that's, and at that sense, we're asking questions like part of an ethical, um, when you go through human ethics is you can't kind of digress. You have to ask stuff really relevant to your research questions. And so my research questions are just around, um, you know, mental health, the 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 patterns of engagement of mental health um, of, sorry, the interest in mental health content on social media and how we currently engage in social media. Like, are you more like, you know, are you more likely to use this platform that you know, like we ask you to rank your likeliness of using different platforms um, and and different types of posts like videos and reels and things. And then we look then and it finishes with asking you about kind of the. Um, you know, aspects of what makes a mental health influencer trustworthy and and the information of value. Um, and I think in somewhere in there was also some questions around why people are you would be engaging in mental health content. And and, and they we asked you to kind of report both from the sense of the self, but also why others so that you can kind of get it, we get a bigger data set that maybe they might not have experienced, but they think others might use social media, mental health, engage in mental health, social, uh, sorry, mental health content on social media. I mean, there's so much for people to learn. I mean, even so many people don't know the impact of nutrition on mental health. So I'm excited. Oh, to, for yeah. everything I used to be a nutritionist. Yes. Yes. I would definitely be including nutrition in, in, in that. As, and, and they do in psychotherapy. It's, it's absolutely impacting. Because I think people know, number one, mental health is a problem. Number two, it seems to be declining. But what do we do about it? And I feel like that's that's the space you're aiming to fill. Is that right? Yeah. And I think, and I'm doing, I'm driven to do that because I started out with poor mental health. Uh, mine was in part due to a medical condition. I had gone to the doctor since I was like a teenager saying, can you test my thyroid? There's something wrong with it. And um, tests always came back negative. And then it wasn't until I rocked it up with this whopping goiter going, um, so what's this? And they're like, oh yeah, so there is a problem with your thyroid. Mm. Once I got treated the thyroid mental health um you know like I didn't have it just was like yeah it just became this bundle of happiness <laughs> and um and and there's other times in life like you know one like say any parent watch putting your child on the on your girls on the pill um estrogen is very like uh very depressing and I had 
I was given way too much estrogen when I was young and it, I, I'm lucky to be alive because of it, let's just say. And uh, when they gave me the testosterone to get rid of the estrogen, it was like, whoa. Um, so our hormones have a huge effect on our mental health and um, men do have it easier, I would say, because having taken testosterone myself and literally seen my body start to turn into a guy, it was like, um, it, 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 yeah, it's definitely something us women have a, um, you know, harder time because we, we, our hormones are just so depressing. <laughs> So I look forward to helping you. Um, well, hopefully we can get some people to fill out that survey. So you collect the data that you need to know where to show up and the content to provide. Um, what else is coming up for you or how can people connect with you um, to learn more about what you're up to in your, in your gen general day, um, life and business and I'll, also your music? Well, I haven't. It's funny. I'm so busy because I also am a recruitment consultant. So I, um, I, I haven't done much music lately, but I keep thinking like I should just make the time to do it just for my own mental health. Funny enough. Um, I used to, Nat knows me by the way, everyone from, um, from my performance world, I used to be an entertainer. And, um, and so, yeah, I haven't, we, we did a lot of that in COVID funnily enough. And then I just got this other job and then my master's and then it was like kind of, I don't know. I just got the drive to I'm quite an intellectual person. I need, the, I like the stimulation. I like academia and stuff. So, I went back in there and and music's definitely taken the back seat. Uh, I also was posting um, my on um, social media under Aston. My, my handle is Aston Interactive. And that's where I was posting this content, uh, these short form videos. So they are still up there. But what I did do is I had to stop because of the impact on the research. It just makes it very messy and can create a conflict of interest. And I, th I thought, you know what, like... I, I'll make a much bigger impact by stepping back and just being the researcher and creating this, uh, you know, project over a number of years than, than pursuing myself as an, as a mental health influencer. Um, but there is a, I do, I have created a Facebook and Instagram page and I'm just working on the TikTok, uh, which is solely for this research. So anyone interesting, in, interested in tracking it, uh, be it taking the research or even seeing where I take it in the future years with hopefully getting into a doctorate is um is the it's a facebook.com and I, I call it the acronyms of social media mental health New Zealand. So it's S M M H N Z and the same is on on Instagram. And yeah, if you can if you like and follow the page, what I will obviously do is continue to to narrate the path of the research along there and and can keep can keep, keep people connected if they're interested in participating in in the research once it actually goes live in the national campaign. Amazing. Okay, so people can follow you on Facebook and Instagram on the S M M H N Z, and there are some on TikTok too. And TikTok. Okay, amazing. Yeah. So before we wrap things up, is there anything else you'd love to share with our audience today on the topic of using social media to help the mental health of our nation? Um, I think it's very comprehensive i think we've said a lot i just say you know like be smart you know be wise and be conscious of of it and uh yes there are negatives out there but for every negative i'm sure there's well i can certainly see lots of positives so um you know you can choose to to contain the negative and control for the negative uh and harness the positive for empowering your life amazing thanks so much aston thanks everyone for joining us you're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio.